Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. All right, let's stand to our feet this morning. We're going to jump right into uh, this morning's message. We're in Romans chapter 4. As you know, for several weeks now, we've been working through the book of Romans. And those of you who are newer, and I know that we do have some guests because I have a close buddy of mine joining here today. Just so you know, we don't go up and down every time we read out of our primary text, but we do it on the first one to just kind of settle our hearts. JJ usually works us up and now we're getting our breath back. It's a way of kind of acknowledging that this is God's holy word and he's going to speak to us today through his word. And so we stand in reverence to his word. We're going to read out of chapter four. We're going to read the first five verses together. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you're in this room. We can feel you in this room. We're so thankful to be in your presence. We pray, God, for the next few minutes that you would speak to our heart in a way that we would never be able to deny that was God speaking to me because nobody knows us like you do. So, God, we open up our hearts to you. We, We become vulnerable in your presence, God. We ask you to bring us revelation to our own life today. Answer some of the questions that we have going on in our hearts, God. Lord, everybody in this room, we're dealing with stuff. We have things happening in our lives. We just pray for the next few minutes, God, that you would help us to just kind of put those things aside and to set our focus on you. We know that you're here with us today. We're so thankful to be in your presence with all of our friends, our church family here in this community. What a beautiful time of worship we've uh, shared together, God. Now speak to us. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our minds, open our heart, we ask in Jesus' precious name. And everyone together said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you know this, some of you don't. I've kind of lived my life in and around the community of the church Every Sunday we were in church. My dad was the pastor. We had no choice. I'm sure there were Sundays where he himself didn't want to go. But for the most part, it was a very beautiful thing. And just so you know, if you didn't grow up like me, that's cool. I'm glad you're here because uh, you're going to hear some things. You're going to hear me kind of confess some things about uh, those of us who were in and around the church for a long period of time. And, and uh, you know, we, we kind of, we say around here at Cedar Valley that we like to lean into the messy. And that just means we like to have conversations about things that maybe others are uncomfortable doing. If you've been in and around the church like I have, you know, you would know that we kind of lean into the churchy, right? We have kind of our own way of talking. We, you know, for example, I, I was, uh, and, and I was at a, a meeting off campus for something that had nothing to do with church. And I, and I saw somebody that knew me and knows what I do. And so I simply just greeted him. Hey, how are you doing today? And without, 
without thinking about it, this dude just says, God is good, the devil is a liar, and prayer still changes things. And those around me were just like, what in the world did this? And so I was kind of taken off guard, but this dude don't know. I'm also from that place too. So without hesitation, I'm like, amen, brother. May the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and his most excellent benevolence be enthroned on the countenance of your sanctification. Amen. I didn't do that, but I wanted to. I'm like, I'll match your churchy. You want to go churchy, let's go churchy. But I just let him off the hook and I said, yeah, I'm good, man. Good. I'm glad. I'm, whatever you said, amen to that. You know, there are some things like in the church world that we say that I'm not even sure we know. So if you're not even, if you're not in the church or you weren't raised in the church, confession for you. A lot of the things we say and do, we don't even know why. Like we say things like exalted, blessed, sanctified, right? We do all this. We say these words and I'm not too sure we even know what they mean. But we say them because we've been around them our whole life, right? There's one, and I think it's the question worth asking today is, what does it mean to be righteous? Because we say, you know, righteousness, righteous. We say that a lot. What does it mean to be righteous? Well, in this series alone, we've discovered that it means right with God. Made right with God. That's like the bullseye of Paul's letter to the churches in Rome. To be made right with God. Okay, so then the question is then, what does it mean to be right with God? That's a good question, right? Because the truth is, and we have a lot, we have a lot competing for, uh, a lot of things competing for that spot in our life, right? To, to be right with God. That means, because there's no one in between us. Last week, last week our message taught that there's nothing between me and God. When I'm right with God, there's nothing between me and God. And there's a lot in life competing for that spot in my life. So so then what does it mean to be right with God? What makes me right with God? And this this is the million-dollar question. This is the million-dollar question that we're going to answer today. My goal today is that you would drive away knowing the answer um, to this question. Now, in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see that Paul is very... Uh, intentional about, about addressing the Jews and the Gentiles, right? The Jews, God's chosen, the Gentiles, everybody else. At the very end of chapter 3, he asks the question, is God the, uh, is God the God of the Jews only, or is he also the God of the Gentiles? And he says, of course he is. He's the God of both, right? So now he goes into chapter 4, verse 1, saying, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. Now listen. Every Jew who would have heard this would have absolutely agreed with this. I mean, Jewish teaching taught that Abraham was like the epitome of righteousness. He was the picture of man right with God. Rabbis held him in high esteem. No one would have refuted when they heard this. But it goes on to ask, Paul goes on to ask, what did he discover about being made right with God. And the question is, yeah, what did he discover? Like, what was it about Abraham that he discovered? Because if he discovered something, I want to know, Paul asks the question that we all would have asked. What did Abraham discover about being made right with God, about being righteous, about being righteous? If his good deeds had made him acceptable or right with God, if his good deeds would have made him right with God, 
he would have had something to boast about. So Abraham would have discovered, hey, I got the cheat code to being made right with God. That's what Paul's asking. What did he discover about being right with God? Abraham, if he would have, uh, if his good deeds would have made him acceptable to God, if, if doing good things, if knowing the right people, if paying the right amount of money, if there was something you could do, if there was something I could do to be made right with God, he would have figured it out here, but he didn't, right? But that's not God's way. And so, yeah, I grew up, I grew up in, in, a, in, a, in a place in the Southwest where we kind of do church different than you do. We do church a little bit differently. We have different kinds of ways of pursuing righteousness with God. Like we defined it differently. I would say that the way I grew up, it was kind of the things that we could not do to preserve the, the righteousness with God. I come from like a legalistic pursuit of righteousness. Like where we can't do the movies. We can't, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't wear certain types of clothes. It was, you know, how long is your hair and where can you cut your hair? And that's just kind of the way it was where I was at. I didn't know any different. The way we do church up here in the north, it's different. It's a different kind of Catholic up here. It's a, it's a different kind. So I think, okay, so then regionally answering that question is different for everybody. What does it mean to be right with God? Depending on where you're from in the United States, the answer to that is, 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 uh, is different. Well, we're a church representing many nations. So then maybe you would say it's true all around the world. Like where you are all around the world, the question to that is, the answer to that question, it can be different. Our pursuit of righteousness can look different. And here's what we're going to discover today. We're going to discover today that, that, first of all, we all have differences, but the answer to this question is the same for everybody. The answer to the question that we're asking today is the same for everybody. Because God is the God of all people, all generations, right, from every nation. Paul goes on to say in Romans 4.3 that the scriptures tell us, and then he just goes to quote out of Genesis 15, which he, he knew the Torah, right? The Jewish people would have known the Torah. They had the law. So he just reminds them that Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So we're going to sit here for a little bit. And you all know that when we're up here teaching, when you see a word in this color, it means that we're going to kind of unpack that. It's an important word in the scripture. This word particularly is used 11 times in, the cha in, in chapter 4, meaning Paul's making a point of what that means. So we're going to kind of see what the difference is. So believed, last week and for, for several weeks now, we've been talking about this word believe, which is pistis, right? Neil gave this illustration of a man who would to put a tightrope between two high-rise high buildings. You remember the story, those of you who were here? And, and he talked about how many, you know, he, he would look at the crowd and they were there to see this guy do these great things. And he would ask, you know, how many of y'all think I can walk across this tightrope? And everyone cheered. And so he, he went on and did it. And then he asked, how many of y'all think I can take a wheelbarrow over, over this rope to the other side? And they cheered and, and, and he did it. And then he asked, who thinks I can do it with somebody in the wheelbarrow? And they all clapped. And then he said, well, I need a volunteer. And nobody got up. No volunteer, right? We, we learned that, that this word believe, pistis, is like, like getting into the wheelbarrow, right? That's, that's the word uh, that, that we learned last week with, with believe. 
But believe in the Hebrew language means to lean on with your whole weight. Kind of like the same idea, like put your whole body into the wheelbarrow. God, the wheelbarrow is like God's hand, right? And believe is leaning on God, putting the whole weight of your life into the hand of God. That's, that's what this word believe means. Abraham believed. He put the weight of his life into God's hand. You and I have the opportunity to believe God, to put the weight of our whole life into his hand. And when he believed, God counted him as righteous. This word counted, it, it, in, the, in the original Hebrew language, it kind of le- lends itself to this idea of, uh, of two things, a financial term and a legal term. The financial term would be credited, like he was credited with this. The legal term would be that he was deemed. So, so see a picture of, of a courtroom and, 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 and it's packed with people and the accuser of your soul comes and begins to list out all your charges of sin that you are guilty of. And begins to list them all out, list them all out, list them all. And all of these, these accusations, you are guilty of this. And at the very end, the judge looks over to you and says, set him free. Set him free. You are deemed free. That's what this word credited is. That because, because Abraham believed, he was credited that's, that's the original language. The, the Greek word here is logizomai. Say logizomai. It's a very important word. Paul used it 11 times in this chapter. He's driving home a point. Maybe it's because there's people sitting in the room today who would say, if you knew all that I've done, if you were aware of all that I've done, if people knew what I've done, then they'd real, then, they, then, then maybe you'd understand why I think this is not applicable in my life. You know, maybe you sit in this room today and say, because of the things I've done, there's no way God would ever forgive someone like me. There's just no way. I'm guilty as guilty can be. That's not true. And let me just pause for a moment and, and just say that, you know, yes, God's forgiveness is for everybody. And maybe you've been on the receiving end of someone's poor choices. Maybe you've been a victim of some type of crime, and we're not minimizing that at all. But we are saying this, and we are acknowledging this, that even for the most evil of them, they too can receive the forgiveness of God. The next word we see here is righteous. He was counted as righteous. He was deemed righteous because of his faith and this is not, you know, standing in right standing with God, not in opposition to God, but righteousness is given to us. We don't have to earn our righteousness. We can't do anything out of our own power to gain righteousness, to be made right with God. It's amazing that God's not charging sin to sinners, although it actually belongs to us. But he's crediting to us righteousness, knowing that it does not belong to us. We are all unclean considering his holiness. When you take a look at your righteousness, when you are at your best in light of his righteousness, this is how Isaiah the prophet would describe it. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy 
rags. Our greatest pursuit of righteousness in light of God's holiness. Nothing but filthy rags. This, the original language of this would, would talk about like the cloth of menstruation, like the discharge of bodily fluid, like that's, that's our righteousness when we look at God's holiness. See, but aren't you thankful that God doesn't see us through our own unrighteousness, but he sees us through his son Jesus. Because Jesus took and bore the, the, the weight of our sins on Calvary, right? He paid the debt. He cleansed us. He gave us an opportunity to be forgiven of our sin. And now that's how God sees us when we, when we place our whole weight, when we place our, our life into this wheelbarrow and believe God counts us or deems us righteous. There's a beauty to this story as our verses continue. And Neil says this all the time about this word, and it's but one of the most beautiful words in the scriptures because it says people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. But people, all people, Jews and Gentiles, every person sitting in this room, we are counted as righteous, not because of what we do, not because of what we've done, not because of what we are capable of doing, not because of how much we can give, not because of any of that. If that was so, Abraham would have found that to be true. But that is not why we are found righteous. It is because of our faith. And by the way, next week, this is going to be the word that we're going to lean into next week. We're going to understand what does it mean to have faith. Next week is the perfect opportunity for you to bring a friend, especially the friends that you have in your life who would say, they're searching. I know that they're searching. I know that there's something inside of them that they are searching for something greater. They're asking me questions Invite that friend with you next week because that's exactly what we'll be taking a look at. But God who forgives sinners. Aren't you so thankful that God forgives sinners? Aren't you so thankful that God forgives sinners because that's exactly who we are. He vindicates the ungodly. That goes for everybody sitting in this room that you need to know that God is for you. You don't have to Fix your life before God accepts you. You can't fix your life. There is nothing you and I can do to fix our own life. We have to be willing to place our life in God's hands. He's the only one that can fix us. He's the only one that can put us back together. He's the only one that can take our brokenness. He's the only one that can take us in our state of unrighteousness. He's the only one. So the next time your accuser comes to you and he begins to point his finger at you and he says things to you like, look at your life. Look at what you've done. Look at over your path. Look at what you've done. You just remind him, I know it's unbelievable. I can't believe that God would love somebody like me. We're not justified because of our godliness. We are justified in spite of our ungodliness. 
We are not made right with God. We are not righteous because of our godliness, but we are made right with God in spite of our ungodliness. And then we see this story, the beauty of this following story in the next few verses paints a picture of what this really looks like. Romans 4, 6 through 8 says, David, David also spoke. Now David, y'all know David. If there was a Mount Rushmore of people in the Bible, Abraham would for sure be one. David would also be one. Now David wasn't the first king, but certainly he was the greatest king. But David didn't have this rosy past, right? David made some serious mistakes. And Paul jumps into, you know, he, he takes out from Psalm 31. And this is what he says. David also spoke of this. And this is exactly the conversation we're having today. Being made right with God. How can I be made right with God? That's the question David's asking. How can I be made right with God? Because of what I've done. Because of my sin. Because of my unrighteousness. When I look to the holiness of God, I can smell the stench of my sin. When I put my focus on God, sometimes you experience this this morning, even in worship, as you lean into what God is doing, all you can do is see the, 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 all you can do is smell the stench of your own sin. Everything inside of you wants to surrender your life to God, but you're confronted with the reality of your sinful life. And David is asking, how can I, how can I be made right with God when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous, who are declared right with God without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. There is a joy in the house of the Lord when you realize that I have been forgiven of my sin. I continue to be forgiven of my sin. Oh, what joy there is. There should be joy in the house of the Lord. There should be joy in every believer's heart because there's a work that's done in me that I could not do for myself. Only God could do that work in me. So there is a joy despite the heartache, despite the challenges that we face, despite the, the, the circumstances that are before us. There is a joy knowing that my disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose, rec whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. You get to a place where you begin to understand there's absolutely nothing I can do to change my life. It can only be him. I've tried all things. I've pursued all things. I've done it all. I've tried it all. I've chased it all. I've pursued it all. And nothing works. It's a full surrenderance to God. It's putting your full weight, the, the weight of your life into the wheelbarrow and trusting God with your life. Today, you need to be reminded that God is for you. He's not against you. 
God is for you. If you're in this room today or watching online, you need to know God is for you. Y'all know that I'm not from the north. And there's a lot about Minnesota that we really enjoy. And I would say for the most part, I really love the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> but if the Minnesota Vikings are playing a certain team, I'm rooting against the Vikings. I like them, but there's a team out there that I actually like more. And so I'll root against the Minnesota Vikings. And sometimes we have this picture that God roots against us, like, he, like he's not for us. Like when, you, like when you make a mistake or when you do wrong or when, you, when, you're, when you're in sin, you, you, we have this idea that maybe God's pointing his big finger at us. Now, y'all know I'm from, I love the Denver Broncos. That's my team. And, and when they play, they're not that good. Matter of fact, they were not good at all last year. But when they play, I'm locked in. I know who they are. I know where they're at. I know who's playing. And I cheer for them. Every time they do something good, I cheer for them. I cheer for them. I root for them. They matter to me. They've been a part of my life for a really long time. And maybe that's the picture we need to have of God in our life is that he is rooting for you. He is cheering for you. He loves you. He cares about you. He is invested in you. He wants to see you do good. He wants to be in right relationship with you. He is a fan of yours. He loves you. He cares about you. God is for you. He is not against you. And we know that this is a truth, true sentiment out in our community. We, it doesn't take long to have a conversation with somebody and they'll tell you within a few minutes of, their, of this kind of faith talk, yeah, I just feel like God's mad at me. I've disappointed him. God is for you. He's not against you. So if we had to kind of put this message together, our big so what today, what we've learned is that confess sinfulness, receive righteousness. What David learned in his story was that he was to confess his sin to a holy God. And when he did that, God counted him as righteous. When he put his belief in God, when he put the weight of his sin, when the weight of his life into that wheelbarrow, God deemed him righteous because he saw him through the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus.